from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 14th. Just want to say thanks for hanging out this morning, waking up, hopefully waking up, not going to sleep, either if you've been up all night. And salute to you, friend. Ahead in this hour, another state adding their name in the reopening hat, especially when it comes to sports. We heard from Arizona earlier this week that they plan to reopen their state to the possibility of playing professional sports this Saturday without fans. Well, now Florida adding their name to the mix. And Florida has been a state that's been involved in a couple of hypothetical plans for MLS, uh, for basketball, for Major League Baseball. So we'll discuss that. Also, Colin Cowherd hearing a rumor that Cam Newton is considering or, or being considered in Seattle. And he had some pretty passionate thoughts on that yesterday. And he thought it was disrespectful to Russell Wilson. We'll dig into that conversation as well as how that could potentially work. Would Cam Newton be okay with being a backup? Uh, and how, do his injury, how does his injury history play a role in all of that? We also have some more pass rush discussion. Everson Griffin could be a possibility in Seattle all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Well, earlier this week, yes, Arizona opening itself up uh, beginning this Saturday, May 16th, for professional sports to be played without fans. And now Florida uh, tossing their name in as well. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said during a news conference yesterday, quote, one thing I'm going to do probably this week is all professional sports are welcome here for practicing and for playing. He then did note that they were not necessarily going to allow fans to be a part of that mix. And Arizona Governor Doug Ducey said a day earlier that the state is open to games without spectators for all the major sports starting this Saturday. DeSantis adding yesterday, quote, there's been reports that Major League Soccer may want to have their season in Orlando do it. We want you here. We want to have the basketball practicing again. The basketball. Love that. We would love to have the Major League Baseball. And I think the message is that our people are starved to have some of this back in their lives. It's an important part of people's lives. So we want to be able to do that. I think we can certainly do it in a way that's been safe. MLB's opening day, of course, pushed back from March 26th. The Major League Baseball uh, owners and the Players Association starting discussions this week on a plan that could have baseball back as soon as early July with a spring training 2.0 in June. Uh, Half of the 30 MLB teams already hold spring training in Florida, so there's a lot of facilities. And MLB has considered that possibility as a site where teams would use their spring training ballparks if they're not allowed to play in their regular season homes. Though the most recent proposals approved by owners this past Monday did have them playing in their home stadiums. Uh, The NBA, NHL, and MLS were all interrupted because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they're trying to come up with plans to finish their seasons. And even now, at some points, especially in the NBA's case and the NHL, looking ahead to next season because 
those realities will be here sooner than we think. Mike Golick on this morning on Golick and Wingo talking about Florida pote- potentially becoming a sports epicenter. MLS was looking at uh, Wide World of Sports at Disney. We know the NBA had mentioned that Wide World of Disney and Las Vegas. Um, but, you know, we know all the professional sports that are in Florida in all the different sports. So, I mean, this is let, – let's go. Let's, let's, let's open things up. I mean, it's like you're, you have the ability to open it, and then where do you open it to? Because we know forgetting even sports, people are getting so antsy here, and it's how far you're going to go once you're given a little bit of rope to say, okay, we can start to do this. Of I know there's going to be some people – in sports and out of sports with some trepidation, but others Which that are we understand. Say, let's go in this thing head first and get going. Absolutely. Uh, plenty of health and safety concerns as well, because a lot of people in that state to begin with. And then if you're adding the possibility of a lot of travel and bringing more people into the state, that always raises health and safety questions, especially during this time. Well, a rumor has been floating, at least uh, Colin Cowherd heard one, that the Seahawks were open to bringing Cam Newton in as a backup to Russell Wilson. And he certainly had some some passionate thoughts about it yesterday on The Herd. I saw this story to, this morning that makes no sense, but I'm going to talk about it. Cam Newton rumors of all the teams in the league. Guess where the Cam Newton rumors are. Not a bad team that could use his dynamic flair and athleticism. Not a team that doesn't really know who their quarterback is. Not a team who has a quarterback that needs to get pushed. Nope, here's the latest rumor today. The Seattle Seahawks would be open to adding Cam Newton. Once again, absolute nonsense and disrespect for Russell Wilson. A, Russell Wilson never gets hurt. Why spend a dollar on a backup? Two, Seattle's a Super Bowl potential roster. Why bring in a celebrity backup? And three, Russell Wilson is a workaholic. He doesn't need to be pushed. Colin Cowherd also making the comparison uh, to another team and saying the Steelers would never do this to Big Ben. There's a rumor about Russell Wilson. Cam Newton today. Yesterday he was going to get traded to the Browns. The ESPN article that slammed him. Not a peep. Not an ounce of drama. This would literally unravel a Packers season. This would unravel Big Ben. But you know what Pittsburgh does that Seattle doesn't? Pittsburgh, even though Ben is hurt, even though Ben doesn't work hard in the offseason, even though Ben is overly dramatic, even though Ben struggles with a lot of teammates, the Steelers' ownership and general manager and coach are always in his corner. And stories like this, true or not, would never get out. In the last two days, two stories. We wanted to trade Russell, and why not bring in Cam? Absolute nonsense. That Russell Wilson once again has to deal with this crap. So is there uh, any weight to that rumor? Because, of course, during this time, too, especially starved for content, we've heard some more ridiculous rumors as well. But Jeremy Fowler of ESPN joining 710 yesterday uh, to, to, to discuss this and why he thinks Seattle could be a fit for Cam. You know, I think of Seattle for a few reasons. One, um, you know, I know some people there would certainly welcome and love to have a guy like Cam Newton in their quarterback room. Uh, also, the play-action offense, he would be perfectly tailored for that as an athletic quarterback. Um, they could even have some fun with him if they wanted to get him involved in the offense in a different type of look. Usually Russell Wilson's not going to come off the field, but 
Um, you know, Seattle is one of the few teams around the league that looks at every available player. You know, they'll they'll consider anyone. And so that's why I think Cam is at the least on their radar. Cam, without a job, surprising a lot of people at this time, but uh, would he be all right with being a backup? Is that part of the reason that he's not signed? Well, I think that's partly why he's not signed yet, you know, uh, and that's partly why Andy Dalton is. You know, when Andy Dalton got cut by the Bengals, not only was he well-respected around the league, but, um, you know, you know he can be a backup, and, and that's a comfortable situation. Um, and Cam, in part because of his merit and what he's accomplished in the league, he's just not a backup quarterback, right? He's a starter. Um, so... You know, I've talked to several people uh, with different teams about this, and, and, and they don't know where he's going to end up, but they do think that, you know, at some level you have to sort of humble yourself if you're going to be a backup. You know, Robert Griffin III had to do it. He was riding high. He's not as accomplished as Cam Newton, but Andy Dalton had to do it. Um, you know, there are many others. And so it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you could, you could do a one-year deal um, even if you don't play a snap. You know, your market could be more attractive a year from now than it is uh, currently. Yeah, still so many unknowns uh, about this season. And yes, as we've seen in free agency, especially in the case of Jadevian Clowney, uh, the market being different than uh, the player might have assumed, than fans might have assumed. Dan Graziano on uh, yesterday on if Cam would be open to that backup position. So that's something that only he can answer. And we really haven't heard from him on that. You know, he posts on social media from time to time about his workouts and and various things, but he hasn't sat and explained his mindset uh, to anyone. Not that he has to, obviously, but until he does, we won't know that answer. So I think it's for, for Newton right now, the question is, what's the right move? Like, is there, if there's a backup opportunity available to you, is it wise to take it, or is it wiser in an offseason where no one's practicing anyway uh, to wait and to see what other situations open up? Um, you know, let's say – the Patriots get two or three months down the road and decide that Jared Siddham isn't progressing the way that they thought. Maybe we'll take a look at this guy. Maybe the Jaguars decide that Gardner Minshew isn't progressing the way they thought. You know, those kinds of things. Maybe there's a starting opportunity that opens up down the road that isn't present now. That might be the smarter way to go if you're Cam Newton, uh, as opposed to locking yourself into a backup role now and then two, three months from now, oh, I wish I'd waited because such and such team now needs a starter and may have been interested. I agree with everything, you know, except that, as we know, Gardner is the king of Duval and uh, and he's going to show off his glory this season. We all know that. Up next on the Blitz, uh, let's discuss more about the, the pass rush market. Jeremy Fowler did also have some great comments on good pass rushers still being available for pretty decent uh, pretty decent prices. So we'll discuss. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Wu-Tang Clan just always me up in the morning. Why not? Thanks for hanging out this morning, Thursday, May 14th. Uh, earlier in the hour, we talked or we heard from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, who joined 710 yesterday to talk about the possibility of Cam Newton in Seattle. But he also had some thoughts on Judevian Clowney and the pass rush market as a whole. Uh, he said that he surprised Clowney didn't set the market as some as many were expecting. Yeah, he just that's what he wanted. And I, I think he could have gotten somewhat fairly close to that if he would have signed week one, but it would have been more like what Dante Fowler got probably, maybe that $16 million range. 
Um, you know, the, the medical was a factor. It's a unique year with the coronavirus, and teams weren't willing to go crazy. That You really didn't see a lot of $20 million deals out there this year at all. Um, you know, just the, the money overall was down a little bit. And, you know, with the big contracts, there's a little bit of fear that if a guy struggles with his physical, then you have to relinquish the signing bonus and all that stuff. So um, it just wasn't a, a great situation with his injury, the fact that he's never had a double-digit sack season. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we were all surprised. I mean, everybody I've talked to has been surprised. Jeremy Fowler also saying that he heard the Browns were close to a deal with Clowney, and it was decent, decent money. Now, I know the Browns were close to a deal with him, and it was pretty good money. Um, but it fell through. I, I think the uh, the player just didn't approve it at the end, and so uh, here we are. You know, he, he's had chances. Most, I mean, three or four teams have been trying to sign him. Uh, it's just not enough money in his eyes. In recent weeks, it seems like the hope that he would land back here in Seattle has diminished at least some. Um, but Jeremy Fowler saying that as a result of Clowney not setting the market, there's still good pass rushers available for. Uh, decent money. Well, Clowney was supposed to set that market for pass rushers, and he never did, in part because, um, you know, teams viewed him as, you know, a fringe top 10 defensive end, but not a top five guy. He wanted to get paid like a top five guy, you know, the $20 million range, and teams weren't comfortable with that. Uh, you know, a guy who's a good pass rusher, but hasn't proven to be great, uh, very good run stopper, but it just, it was, so it was the inflated market combined with uh, his injury issue with the core muscle surgery, teams just wanted to get their hands on him uh, and check their medical before they signed him through that, that big of a contract, you know. And so uh, Seattle's case was, hey, we already know his medicals. We're comfortable with that to a point, but they just weren't in the ballpark financially. And I just I just kept hearing Clowney wasn't really entertaining that number. And so as a result, you still a lot of good pass rushers that can be had for pretty low money. As a result of that, uh, Jeremy Fowler saying there are some still big names on the free agent market. One that we've heard here in Seattle, at least potentially tied uh, to them, is Everson Griffin, currently a free agent, the defensive end, 32 years old now. And Fowler saying he thinks Arizona, Dallas, and Seattle, the NFC teams, interested in Griffin. A guy like Everson Griffin I know has multiple offers out there. Um, you know, I believe Arizona's interested. I believe Dallas is interested. I believe Seattle at least has mild interest as sort of a backup plan at, at pass rusher. But uh, in that case, for a guy like Griffin, you can continue to wait knowing that, you know, at least one of those deals is going to stay there and uh, you don't have to sign right now. So it's just a, at a bit of a stagnant point. What would be the price range potentially for an Everson Griffin, a former fourth rounder? Well, I think he's, he's hoping to be a, a $10 million a year guy, and he can probably still play at that level. I, I don't think the offers are, are at that number. Um, now, I don't think they're, you know, $4 million either. I think they're probably a little higher, but it's, it's not uh, – if it was $10 million, he'd be signed by now. I do believe that. So it's probably somewhere below that. In the meantime, uh, college – Campuses are still trying to figure out what they're going to do in the fall, everything virtually online uh, as of now. And uh, we heard the Cal State system this week announced that through the fall, everything was going to be online um, and colleges trying to work through that right now. Up next on the Blitz, we'll discuss how the Pac-12 is taking a look at this at this fall season and how that impacts athletics. We'll hear from Washington football coach Jimmy Lake on it, as well as uh, USC and their athletic director there. Pac-12 hoping to have a united front. Uh, I'll explain. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
From the Alaska Airline Studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Thursday, May 14th. The NCAA is in a very unique position. And all of its member schools, too. We heard from NCAA uh, higher up Mark Emmert earlier this week saying that they were not going to be responsible for making a uniform start date or return to play date uh, for the athletics programs. That instead was going to be up to individual and local state governments um, as as those are very different uh, conditions in every state. But that also leads to a lot of questions um, in terms of the fairness in competition and if certain programs are allowed to return earlier than others, if certain programs are allowed to return to play before others. This week, we got to hear from several of the Pac-12 coaches. They did a couple of webinars and uh, video conferences with Yogi Roth and Jimmy Lake speaking on, first of all, safety being the number one concern for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with both coaches. The biggest thing is it's the safety of the players and our staff is number one. And so if someone has an issue with an underlying condition of getting back here, I mean, we're going to deal with that appropriately. It's going to be nothing about trying to get them here for a meeting, and that takes precedent over over, over their safety. So safety first for, for all of our personnel here. Jimmy did mention that he wished the NCAA or would be a hope that they would make a universal uh, start or return time. You know, I'm of the opinion it would be great if the whole NCAA made a blanket rule for the whole nation of when we would start. And I, you know, I understand some states maybe, uh, you know, less hit by this than most. And I'm sure there's going to be some different opinions after me. But, um, you know, in my opinion, I believe the NCAA should step in and say, okay, here's the date where everybody can start. Because obviously we have a non-conference game to start off. If they were able to, to practice, you know, two months before we, we were able to practice, that's, that's a disadvantage. And not even, you know, not even talking about Utah or Colorado, just our, our first game that we're, that we're uh, slated to play. Uh, so that's what I, that's what I would be for, and and then I think we would be all on an even playing field. I think the NFL is also going through the same same issue right now. Some states are opening up before others, and I've heard a couple of NFL head coaches also have the same sentiment. As we know, in a lot of these sports, you can't just jump into playing games, and you need to work up to them. Whether it's having your training camps or for Major League Baseball, spring training 2.0, Jimmy Lake on the optimal return timetable for college football. Yeah, Mike, I think I mean we would all want more time. Like Carl mentioned, I mean eight weeks would be would be would be great, and anything more than that would be obviously going in the positive direction. Uh, but did we have all talked as, as coaches that six weeks would be a minimum? Um, you know, get these guys two weeks of just getting in condition for one and then start implementing our schemes and going through meetings, so on and so forth. So I think uh, six weeks has been agreed upon uh, would be uh, at a minimum uh, the best for our guys. But once again, safety, health and safety concerns being the ultimate arbiter of that discussion. And we heard from Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner all this week, saying that the Pac-12 is united on this and they won't play football if students aren't allowed back on campuses. I don't believe we're going to play football if students can't be brought back safely to campus. I don't think we're going to treat student-athletes or football players as some special class. I don't think we've got the ability to quarantine them or put them in a bubble the way some pro sports might. We also got to hear from USC Athletic Director yesterday and his stance, Mike Bond, on the Pac-12's unity on this. Well, again, I think that uh, each individual institution and each individual uh, system 
does have their own protocols, their own challenges, their own uh, uh, unique aspects of running their enterprise. And I, I think that we just need to understand that. I mean, uh, USC and Stanford are, are two private institutions. The rest of the conference, obviously, are, are public. And so that creates unique opportunities and opportunities for alignment. But uh, uh, one thing I'm really proud of is that Larry Scott and the group of athletic directors, and more importantly, the group of presidents, have uh, united in a way that has given the Pac-12 a lot of momentum associated with our uh, health professionals, our doctors, our trainers, and uh, everybody associated with a safe environment for our student-athletes are in alignment. And I think that's uh, really a positive development for us. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate in this conference to have incredible health experts. And uh, that has been a big, big asset for the Pac-12. That's true. A lot of uh, a lot of impressive medical centers uh, along the West Coast and through the Pac-12 there as well. A lot of medical experts. Uh, we'll hear on uh, baseball's current predicament here in just a minute from Jeff Passan. But first, yesterday on Tom, Jake, and Stacy, an interesting conversation about how the NFL salary cap will be impacted by COVID-19, expected uh, to have a significant drop. How will that end up impacting players? If revenues for the NFL were to somehow go down this year because they didn't have fans going to games, uh, you know, ticket Ticket prices went down, whatever it ends up being. Would that mean then, in turn, that the salary cap would go down and players who were awaiting big contracts would be forced to accept less? Or would the, would the league try to force them to accept less? Would, they, would the union tolerate it? I mean, think about that whole discussion we had yesterday about whether or not the MLB union would be willing to split revenues 50-50 this year if, it, if the season ended up being hacked in half to 82 games or whatever. They're probably not going to like that. Well, how do you think the NFL players are going to like it if they end up having a shortened season or they play in front of no fans and revenues go down and the money, at least according to owners, isn't there to pay them? How is all of that stuff going to work out? Jake? It's not going to work out very well, Tom. I'm just going to tell you right now that I don't believe players in that situation are are going to uh, feel bad for NFL teams that that one year that their cap number is going to go down because it's going to spike right back up. And honestly, guys, I don't know how much the cap is going to go down because you think about it, yeah. obviously – uh, ticket revenue is is huge, right? For every NFL team, when we talk about college football, it, it's a massive part of, of making money. But also you have to remember that if people aren't in the stands, then TV deals, TV revenue probably also, I think, skyrockets because you're going to have the highest viewership in history, right? So I, I do believe that they're going to find a way to balance each other out, and maybe they're not – uh, maybe it goes down a little bit, but I don't think it goes down so much so that players really have to look at sacrificing their contracts and their future paydays because of it. I, I really don't see that happening. I don't know that it will affect the the top-tier players 
on rosters. Like, I'd be surprised if next year they're like, hey, Russell Wilson, can you take a pay cut suddenly? But if so, I'll start by saying the projection. So this this isn't for me. This is Jason Fitzgerald, uh, who writes for Over the Cap. He said that uh, the which we already know this, the salary cap has gone up uh, pretty much every year over the last decade, averaging about a 6% increase. So it was $120 million in 2011 to almost $200 million, $198 million in 2020. So if teams were expecting, before all of this started, the salary cap to be over $200 million in 2021, and it suddenly drops to, and this is what he projects, uh, anywhere between 130 million and 175 million. Those are a, a couple big contracts. So I do wonder if the league is going to to have to adjust. I mean, you can't change veteran minimums, right? You can't change stuff you just included in this CBA. Um, how do you address it? I would hate to see. Uh, you know, players lose their jobs over this. I just wonder what it's going to look like. It's also this weird artificial end uh, to that debate we were having about how high is the quarterback salary going to go. It would be weird if it suddenly takes a dip because of this, of all things. It was Tom, Dick, and Stacy chatting about salary cap implications in the NFL and the possibility of playing without fans on the stands and ticket revenue. Also, yesterday, Jeff Passan, he's been pretty much the go-to expert everywhere on ESPN, on GetUp, on Spain and Company, um, chatting about, and SportsCenter chatting about the discussions between Major League Baseball, the owners, and the Players Association this week, and the huge disconnect between those two parties. Financial uh, discussions were not on the table in the first day of discussions, but we know those will be a huge sticking point between these two sides. Jeff Passan on Spain and Company talking about uh, if he believes uh, the thoughts on the issues and the and pay cuts at the center of this. Players don't know yet because the, even even though there was a discussion of health issues, there was not a, a document like outlining them. That's going to be coming, though, and it's going to be large and I assume quite robust. You know, we're talking like 100 pages worth of protocols, whether it's testing, whether it's social distancing, whether it's travel, all these elements that you need to make a plan like this work. And and let's remember, Sarah, this plan is like the third iteration of what baseball has been looking at. At first, there was focus on the Arizona plan, which was going to be very similar to what the NBA and NHL are looking to do, this sort of monastic one-site only, maybe two-site plan. Then they had gone to the idea of hub cities, maybe three, maybe five, maybe six, uh, you know, spreading out teams. Now we're talking about playing in home ballparks. And when you're playing in home ballparks, you are in home cities. Uh, your contact with people is not limited outside the ballpark. You're traveling either via plane or bus for closer cities. There are a lot more contact points where you could potentially contract coronavirus and spread COVID to a, an entire clubhouse. Now, I don't want to be alarmist in saying that. That's just the reality of the world that we're living in today, where things are opening back up and all of us who go outside are susceptible. But uh, it is something that I think players uh, are going to be willing to take a risk on so long as they feel like MLB is their partner in this. And I think if you're going to the lengths to, you know, write up a 80 to 100 page proposal about how to keep them healthy, that looks like a pretty good partnership in that regard. So that's just on the health and safety issues, 100 pages of 
said protocols for this plan that would have teams playing in their home stadiums. But the biggest contention point, as I mentioned, the financial aspect of it, the owners proposing a revenue share, a 50-50 revenue share, which uh, the Players Association, Tony Clark, has been pretty adamant and openly vocal about they would be against that. And I think a big part of it, too, I mentioned this on on Danny Gallant yesterday, is that uh, revenue reporting even, there's a lot of mistrust between these two sides and players don't even have trust that teams are reporting their revenue um, honestly, I guess you could say. And Jeff Passan echoing that yesterday as well. I don't want to directly quote him because I don't know the, the direct quote, but there's there's a quote attributed to Paul Beeston, who worked at Major League Baseball and with the Toronto Blue Jays for a long time, that says, uh, with, with the help of modern accounting, I can make a $2 million profit look like a $2 million loss. Um, I think when you have... That sort of uh, mathematical flexibility, say, uh, floating out there, and the union knows that teams uh, in the past have tried something like this, like back when they were threatening contraction with the Kansas City Royals and the Minnesota Twins because they were losing so much money. Um, when, when you have a history of that, it's really difficult to ignore that. And so transparency, yeah, transparency would be really nice. And I think that uh, it's the sort of thing that owners absolutely should consider and uh, will eventually not open up their books because uh, as, as much as we are looking at 2020 right now and it being great import for us at this point, uh, there's still baseball to be played in 2021, 22, 23, 24, 25 at, at infinitum. And that baseball is going to be played under a collective bargaining agreement, Sarah, that's going to expire after the 2021 season. And the idea that the owners are going to give a look behind the curtain and be the Wizard of Oz right here, right before a CBA negotiation, I just don't find that to be realistic. Coming up on the Blitz, it's time for the hot list. Cam Newton, could he be a backup and could he be backup in Seattle? We'll discuss that rumor as well as pass rushers that are still available on the open market. Florida reopening back up. And if teams, uh, including MLS teams, NBA teams, NFL teams could take uh, their show on the road to Florida. We'll discuss it's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Uh, this time we are all stars for sports we've also seen some interesting headlines perhaps as a result some interesting rumors including the possibility of cam newton coming to seattle as a backup to russell wilson colin coward had very passionate thoughts about this on his show the herd this week i saw this story this morning that makes no sense but i'm going to talk about it cam newton rumors of all the teams in the league Guess where the Cam Newton rumors are. Not a bad team that could use his dynamic flair and athleticism. Not a team that doesn't really know who their quarterback is. 
Not a team who has a quarterback that needs to get pushed. Nope, here's the latest rumor today. The Seattle Seahawks would be open to adding Cam Newton. Once again, absolute nonsense and disrespect for Russell Wilson. A, Russell Wilson never gets hurt. Why spend a dollar on a backup? Two, Seattle's a Super Bowl potential roster. Why bring in a celebrity backup? And three, Russell Wilson is a workaholic. He doesn't need to be pushed. Colin Coward also making the comparison to some other teams. There's a rumor about Russell Wilson. Cam Newton today. Yesterday he was going to get traded to the Browns. The ESPN article that slammed him. Not a peep. Not an ounce of drum. This would literally unravel a Packers season. This would unravel Big Ben. But you know what Pittsburgh does that Seattle doesn't? Pittsburgh, even though Ben is hurt, even though Ben doesn't work hard in the offseason, even though Ben is overly dramatic, even though Ben struggles with a lot of teammates, the Steelers' ownership and general manager and coach are always in his corner. And stories like this, true or not, would never get out. In the last two days, two stories. We wanted to trade Russell, and why not bring in Cam? Absolute nonsense that Russell Wilson once again has to deal with this crap. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN on, uh, with 710 yesterday on why he thinks Seattle could be a fit for Cam. You know, I think it's Seattle for a few reasons. One, um, you know, I know some people there would certainly welcome and love to have a guy like Cam Newton in their quarterback room. Uh, also, the play-action offense, he would be perfectly tailored for that as an athletic quarterback. Um, they could even have some fun with them if they wanted to get him involved in the offense in a different type of look. Usually, Russell Wilson's not going to come off the field, but um, you know, Seattle is one of the few teams around the league that looks at every available player. You know, they'll they'll consider anyone, and so that's why I think Cam is at the least on their radar. Jeremy Fowler also on if Cam would be fine with being a backup. Well, I think that's partly why he's not signed yet. You know, uh, and. That's partly why Andy Dalton is. You know, when Andy Dalton got cut by the Bengals, not only was he well-respected around the league, but, um, you know, you know he can be a backup, and, and that's a comfortable situation. Um, and Cam, in part because of his merit and what he's accomplished in the league, he's just not a backup quarterback, right? He's a starter. Um, so, you know, I've talked to several people uh, with different teams about this, and, and, and they don't know where he's going to end up, but they do think that, you know, at some level, you have to sort of humble yourself if you're going to be a backup. You know, Robert Griffin III had to do it. He was riding high. He's not as accomplished as Cam Newton, but Andy Dalton had to do it. Um, you know, there are many others. And so it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you could, you could do a one-year deal um, even if you don't play a snap. You know, your market could be more attractive a year from now than it is uh, currently. Also yesterday, Dan Graziano, um, ESPN NFL insider, on if Cam would be open to being a backup. Well, that's something that only he can answer, and we really haven't heard from him on that. You know, he posts on social media from time to time about his workouts and, and various things, but he hasn't sat and explained his mindset uh, to anyone. Not that he has to, obviously, but until he does, we won't know that answer. So I think it's for, for Newton right now, the question is, What's the right move? Like, is there, if there's a backup opportunity available to you, is it wise to take it? Or is it wiser in an offseason where no one's practicing anyway uh, to wait and to see what other situations open up? Um, you know, let's say 
the Patriots get two or three months down the road and decide that Jared Sidham isn't progressing the way that they thought. Maybe we'll take a look at this guy. Maybe the Jaguars decide that Gardner Minshew isn't progressing the way they thought. You know, those kinds of things. Maybe there's a starting opportunity that opens up down the road that isn't present now. That might be the smarter way to go if you're Cam Newton, uh, as opposed to locking yourself into a backup role now and then two, three months from now, oh, I wish I'd waited because such and such team now needs a starter and may have been interested. Golf courses across the country are slowly reopening in a lot of places. And uh, could golf be one of those sports that helps bring normalcy back to our country, especially because you are easier, it is easier to play and maintain health and safety regulations in an individual sport than it is on a team sport where you're in a lot closer proximity to people, excuse me, and individuals. Yesterday on, with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter, uh, PGA CEO Seth Waugh joined him to talk about golf's impact on a return to normalcy. From the beginning, we really started by thinking, okay, if we were the CDC, how would we want golf to be you know, played? Um, and how can it be part of the solution as opposed to part of the problem? And we actually went so far as to uh, go to the CDC, um, who have been incredibly receptive, responsive. And as a result, you know, we've come up with a group of um, sort of guidelines for in a phased-in approach, phase one, phase two, phase three. That'll be minimalist golf at first, um, adding services o- over time till the point where you get to, you know, three, which may never look like it used to in some ways, and that's okay. We're all going to learn to live with things that are different. This is going to clearly change us in some form forever. Impacting several different sports, including a college football, which we've discussed a little bit in this hour. We heard from Jimmy Lake on uh, on his idea and hoping that, wishing that Mark Emmert and the NCAA would make a uniform rule for return to play, although he had mentioned this week he will not do that. Yogi Roth of Pac-12 Network on the NCAA not mandating that uniform return to college sports. I'm fine with however we play. Like, I think we have to all accept that it's exactly what you said. Nothing's going to be fair, right? Like, Arizona can open on Monday. I'm going to ask Kevin Sumlin tomorrow on our final webinar, uh, 2 o'clock Pacific time, about that. I'm like, all right, so what's the process of getting guys back? You know, Utah is going to open up earlier than California. And I think that's okay. Like, get guys on campus as quickly as you can. So, A, they get the best food, training, treatment around each other. Like, guys that are home, they're not all in a better environment than they would be if they were on campus. But I, I kind of start there um, regarding the fairness in college football. That's not going to exist. USC head coach, football coach Clay Helton had mentioned earlier this week on the possibility of an all Pac-12, only Pac-12 schedule for these teams. And Yogi uh, confirming that was one of the options discussed. I did that interview. And to me, it was not surprising, but I think it's important to note that when Clay Helton was asked that question, he also said, we've talked about that and every other option. So when that became the thing on the front of ESPN.com, I just laughed like, yeah, we are in the need of headlines because... We'll take anything, and I think every conference has talked about that. And and I, I, it, it's true. Though. I was just like, wow! I literally did that interview, and that's what got taken. Versus the next sentence, which was we've talked about less games, more games, no game. Like we've talked about every option under the sun gets discussed on every one of these calls. 
And yet Yogi Alston mentioning that he hasn't spoken to anyone that is discussing a possibility of playing college football in the spring, which is one of those options that we have heard floated at least across college football, maybe not necessarily in the Pac-12. But uh, Yogi Roth, full interview available for you at 710sports.com. Florida is becoming the latest state to uh, reopen for the possibility of professional sports. Earlier this week, Arizona announced that on Saturday, May 16th, they would reopen for professional sports uh, to take place without fans, of course, uh, an important stipulation. But Florida now becoming the latest state to add their name into that ring and that on Saturday, same date, May 16th, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said, in a news conference this Wednesday that uh, one thing I'm going to do, quote, probably this week is all professional sports are welcome here for practicing and for playing. That echoes the same comments as Arizona Governor Doug Ducey a day earlier that his state is open to games without spectators for all the major sports starting Saturday. Uh, several different leagues, including the NBA, NHL and MLS, uh, have discussed possible plans to finish their seasons And some of them, including Florida, including Orlando as a hub, different biosphere hub cities. Also, as we know, MLB, half of their 30 teams hold spring training in Florida. And they've considered plans in which teams would use their spring training ballparks if they're not allowed to play at their regular season homes. Although that is a part of the plan that was floated by Major League owners earlier this week. Mike Golick this morning on Florida becoming potentially a sports epicenter. MLS was looking at uh, Wide World of Sports at Disney. We know the NBA had mentioned that, Wide World of Disney and Las Vegas. Um, but, you know, we know all the professional sports that are in Florida in all the different sports. So, I mean, this is, let, let's go. Let's, let's, let's open things up. I mean, it's like you're, you have the ability to open it, and then where do you open it to? Because we know, forgetting even sports, people are getting so antsy here. And it's how far you're going to go once you're given a little bit of rope to say, okay, we can start to do this. Of I know there's going to be some people in sports and out of sports with some trepidation, but others Which that are we going to understand. say, let's go in this thing head first and get going. Yeah, big part of that trepidation, health and safety and wellness, of course. And if you have a lot of people traveling into that state, there it adds exponentially to the risk factor. That's a wrap for the Hot List and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.